for the last several years, probably eight to ten by my calculations, this church has been involved in ministries on the border of Texas and Mexico, serving the children of that area and people in need. As you are considering financially supporting this church in 2016, I want you to see about what this church has done in Piedras and what we hope to do. This video features our very own Ryan Jacobson and Wendy Meaden. Hi, I'm Ryan Jacobson, and I get to be the missions director here at Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. We've been serving in Piedras Negras, Mexico since 2006. Piedras Negras is home to about 150,000 people just on the other side of the Mexican border from Eagle Pass. When we visit Mexico, we visit three different places. First is Alleluia Methodist Church, which is where those beautiful crosses come from that you see during Advent. Those crosses serve to support a feeding program for about 50 or 60 kids throughout the week. We also visit Casa Bethesda, which is a home for the mentally and physically disabled. And finally, we visit House of Mercy Orphanage, home to about 20 children. I would like to introduce you to Wendy Meaden, who's been our ambassador from Alamo Heights United Methodist for about eight years. She's got a story for you on the impact that you guys have had on the children of Piedras Negras. I'm so thankful to be able to share a story with you about a 12-year-old young man named Victor at the House of Mercy Orphanage. Before, Victor was forced to live on the street to fend for himself because he didn't have enough to eat. His family wasn't feeding him at home, and he didn't go to school, and the drug cartel was even talking to Victor about going to work for them. But when he was brought to the orphanage, he was introduced to Christ. And he began to experience love for the first time. Before, he was malnourished and neglected, and now he was being loved and cared for. And I can tell you the transformation has been amazing. As Victor has grown in his faith, he now believes that God has a plan for his life, and he even wants to be a pastor. When you hear Victor pray, you realize how sincere his faith is. And I really believe that God had a purpose in bringing him to the House of Mercy because now he has a hope for a future because of Christ. Wendy and I would both like to thank you on behalf of the people of Piedras Negras, Mexico. Life is rough there, and without the support of this church, these ministries would not be able to sustain themselves. So thank you very much. If you'd like to get involved with these ministries, please do find me or find Wendy and talk to either one of us. We take four or five trips down a year, and there are a lot of other ways you can help. Thank you. opportunity that you have today is just to prayerfully consider supporting the ministries of this church like that ministry in Piedras. Some of the leaders of New Heights are going to walk through and pass out these um, flyers which have a pledge card at the bottom of them. Here's what you need to know about what you're getting. First of all, not everybody needs to take one. 
really it's just one for every household or one for those who feel like this is a discipline that they want to engage in. This is not a high-pressure uh, tactic that we're doing this morning. We're not locking the doors and asking you to fill out this card and you don't get to leave until the card is complete. No, that's not, that's not the drill. This is an opportunity for you to engage in just the discipline of generosity, the discipline of giving. The budget for this church for 2016 has already been set. It's set on last year's giving um, and last year's ministries. So this card is for you. Take it home, prayerfully consider what you might give, what you would give your word to, and then bring it back next week. If you already know, you can put it in the um, offering boxes here in New Heights. Um, But my encouragement to you would be to bring it back in the next week or two. Okay, thank you. Our uh, scripture passage today is from the Psalms. We are considering Psalm 19, and we are thinking about the importance of words. Uh, You know, in a few places in my life, in this last week, the idea that words have power has come up. And I do believe that that is a truth that I often overlook. Maybe it's because my day-to-day, in my day-to-day life, I am simply barraged by words in conversation, uh, email, television, to both reading and teaching. It seems like words are all around me, and it's quite possible that I forget their strength. Have you ever had an experience where your words are misunderstood? Because I believe in an experience of having your words misunderstood, you just then see the power of words. The classic story at our house of misunderstood words is a story about me at the podiatrist with my three-year-old, trying to overcome her fear of the doctor as we were waiting for the doctor in one of the examination rooms, I explained to her, he just wants to see how you walk. There are no shots involved here. All you have to do is take off your shoes and show him your bare feet. The doctor came in. She was timid. She was fearful. She was just downright weird. Then we got back into the car. She was quiet for about 10 minutes of our ride home. And then she said, Mom, Did the doctor say that I have big girl feet or bare feet? She thought she was turning into a grizzly bear. (laughs) Can you imagine? Well, the pads on your feet are pretty thick. Your toenails are getting kind of sharp. We thought you were a little girl, but it turns out you're a bear. The power of words. Words are powerful. So this morning, I want us not only to consider the power of our own words, but the power of God's word as well. So our scripture passage is the 19th Psalm. Now, some have suggested that the 19th Psalm is actually two passages of scripture that were sewn together in one chapter. So that the first half of the psalm has a completely different topic and subject than the second half of the psalm. So I want us to think about that, and in thinking about, about that, I'm going to ask the left side of the room to stand and read the first six verses, and then I'll ask the right side of the room to stand and read verses 7 through 14. Okay, left side of the room, you ready? Let's read Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. 
The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, and night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth, and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. Thank you. Very nice. All right, right side of the room, you get the second half of the psalm. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. Keep your servants from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. So this psalm is 14 verses long, and many think that the first half of the psalm is completely different and disconnected from the second half of the psalm. That the first half of the psalm would be about creation, and the second half of the psalm would be about scripture or God's word. But I want to tell you that I don't believe that that's the case. The opening line in this psalm that the left side of the room read is the heavens declare, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. And in the first six verses, creation speaks of God's glory without uttering a word. And I love this verse in that passage about creation. There is no speech, yet a voice goes out through all the earth. Man, what a perfect week in San Antonio, Texas, to experience the truth of God's glory in nature. We have had Chamber of Commerce weather, haven't we? So if you went for a run or a walk this week or you even looked outside, I'm certain that you noticed the beauty of creation. And noticing the nature that surrounds us that we exist in can instill in us a sense of awe. What's tricky for me is pausing to notice. (laughs) Sometimes my kids will point out to me the moon, and if I just stop and take a breath and look up, I'll catch a moment of that awe. Or just for a second, I'll look up and I'll see the clouds, or I'll look down and see the intricacies of a leaf. The leaves, the clouds, the moon, the sun, they don't speak words, and yet they declare God's glory. One thing that we remember as we read Psalm 19 is that there are, in fact, words spoken in relation to the created order that is around us. 
Genesis chapter 1 should be in our minds as we read Psalm 19. Someone does speak the created order into existence. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let the earth put forth vegetation. And God said, let the waters bring forth living creatures. Repeatedly, in the first chapter of the Bible, God speaks the world into existence. God doesn't think the world into existence. God doesn't construct the world into existence. But God speaks, and the world is formed. And Psalm 19 says we can still hear those words that were spoken by the Creator at the beginning of creation. So that is the backdrop that the psalmist, the psalmist attributed to David, has as we reflect on the Bible, on God's teachings, on Torah, on the laws and ordinances found in Scripture. Power, beauty, sheer beauty is the backdrop. So when we look at the Bible... We can see, we're allowed to see, the reality is that it's really there for us to see power and creation and beauty and possibility. I don't think that this is the expectation that I often bring to scripture when I sit down to study. Sometimes the approach that I have is more like a student to a strict teacher Because there's just so much that I don't know, so much that I need to learn. So my approach to scripture becomes a little bit clueless and guilty. I should have studied more, I think. Or why can't I remember that truth? Other times my approach is more like a delinquent to a police officer. Who, me? I didn't mean to do that. I didn't know about that rule. And now I'm sorry that I do. And still other times I step into the role of judge and jury when I approach scripture. And I look to use the scripture against someone else. You should know better, I think. That behavior, those words, they're not at all in line with God's word. What if, instead of using the Bible to shame myself and shame others... I recognized the creative power in this text. I want to point out this morning three things to you about the power in Scripture. The first thing that I want you to see is that there is an irony in this text that is difficult for us to see in the year 2016. It's a subtle irony about the power of Scripture. You see, the Israelites, at the time that this psalm was composed, had neighbors. They were nasty neighbors, the Assyrians. The Assyrians worshipped many gods, but one of the gods that they worshipped was simply the sun. And some scholars point out that all the attributes in Psalm 19 that are described of God's teaching of Torah are also attributes of the Assyrian sun god. And you can find those attributes in many Near Eastern texts. So when the scripture says, the law is perfect, 
reviving the soul. Or the commandments are clear, (laughs) enlightening the eyes. The law of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Those who heard this psalm sung would have been thinking about those nasty neighbors and their sun god. And even beyond that, in Psalm 19, the sun is mentioned. The sun is mentioned in the first half of this psalm as simply a part of the created order that joyfully glorifies God. So I think the psalmist is subversively saying the words, the teaching, the laws of our God, Yahweh, trump your wimpy sun God. These words have power. These words can transform. Listen to their effects. The psalmist says they can revive the soul. When your soul needs reviving, turn to the text. They can bring wisdom and joy and insight. These words of scripture can set things right. Now the second thing that I want you to see about Psalm 19 is that there are some metaphors that are used that I want you to remember. One of those metaphors is gold. And the gold describes the value of scripture. The psalmist writes, more desired than gold is scripture, than much pure gold. Okay, so this is a little difficult for me to get because uh, Bibles in my world and in your world, well, they're everywhere. I have many more Bibles than I have pure gold, right? There are a lot of Bibles. Here on this campus, Alamo Heights United Methodist Church, you probably have a few at home, or you can pull up the text of Scripture on an app on your phone. A few weeks ago, I was visiting with a friend who's an artist. She paints, and we were talking about the current trend to use the pages of Scripture as a canvas for painting. So the artist Uh, cuts up or tears up a Bible and then pastes those pages of Scripture onto a canvas and paints on top of those words of Scripture. In fact, this friend of mine is from the Riverside campus that's connected uh, to this church, and she went into an antique store in Bernie, which is 45, 50 miles north of here. Uh, She bought an old hymnal that she was going to use just for that purpose, She purchased the hymnal. She walked outside of the antique store. She opened up the hymnal, and it said, Property of Alamo Heights United Methodist Church. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) So for us, Bibles and hymnals are so commonplace that we can find them in antique stores, and we even reuse them for other purposes. And I don't mean to imply that there's anything wrong with that. I only want to remind myself Not to throw out the value of scripture when it's so very available in my world. Because scripture is precious, more precious than much gold. And it is true that something that is commonplace can also be very valuable. The second metaphor I want you to see in that scripture passage, the first is gold, the second one is honey. The psalmist says that the scripture is intensely sweet. The scripture is as sweet as honey, honey from the comb. 
So this image is still very practically used in Hebrew schools to teach small children about the goodness of God's word. The teacher or the rabbi will take a drop of honey and put it on the tongue of a young student before the scripture is read. Because what's important for people to grow to know as they're reading the scripture is that the scripture is sweet, that the scripture is good. Last week, my five-year-old nephews were over for several hours one afternoon, and my son, who is eight, took them outside to play in the backyard. After several minutes of them being in the backyard, I went outside to check on them. They were in the back corner of the yard with a shovel. And I said, what are you guys doing? And one of the five-year-old twins said with absolute delight in his voice, Aunt Dinah, we are digging for earthworms. (laughs) Now, because he's my nephew and he was about to go home with his grubby little hands and his dirty clothes, I easily bought into his delight. And I do think that that is the stance that God has with me when I'm digging around in Scripture. God wants me to be delighted. God wants me to get dirty, to have fun, to see that this is a place for me to grow. Too often I'm afraid that I think digging around in the Bible is like punishment, like somebody's making me do it. Get out there and do your chores. Or digging around in the Bible is like having a clod of dirt to throw at somebody. You know, it's like, you big dummy, take that. You're not doing it right. No, scripture isn't to be used to criticize or to bring down another person. And it's not to be used as punishment. It's good. It's sweet. My friend who studies uh, Hebrew told us this week in the pastor's meeting that the Hebrew that's used in Psalm 19 for how sweet scripture is is intensified here. It's sweeter's. It's plural, sweeters than honey. This is five-year-olds digging for earthworms in their aunt's backyard. It's good stuff. The third and last thing I want you to see is the very personal nature of Scripture, the very personal nature of the Bible. Repeatedly in the verses on Scripture that are found in the second half of the psalm, use the very personal name for God. Now, that gets translated into English as the Lord. And the Lord sounds so formal to me, but that's because we've made it that way. The Hebrew term for the Lord is a very personal name for God. This is the God who knows me and the God whom I know. The sanctuary sermon this morning on Psalm 19 is titled, The Book of Love. (laughs) And that's not just because this is Valentine's Day, but it's because that's the truth about Scripture. We make the mistake of thinking that the Bible is formal, that it's stayed, that it's ceremonial, that it's detached. The words of Scripture are to give us a clear understanding of what God values and who God is. Years ago, Walter Brueggemann, I think this was in the 1990s, an Old Testament theologian. He did a special on PBS on the book of Genesis. And when he was talking about Adam and Eve and the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, he said, 
You know, it's true that we get into trouble when we talk about God instead of to God. Psalm 19 reminds us of the importance of a close relationship with God. How the scriptures can facilitate that shift from talking about God to God. The very last lines of Psalm 19 say this. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Remember, that's the God who knows me and the God that I know. So the prayer becomes, let my words create. I want my words to encourage. I want my, my words to breathe life into other people. And not only my spoken words, but my silent words also. You know, there are words that I hear that you don't. The meditations of my heart is what this psalmist says. Another way to translate the word meditations is whisperings. Let the whisperings of my heart be acceptable to you. You know, I believe that the whisperings of my heart reverberate out into the world that surrounds me. And I don't know about your heart, but sometimes my heart whispers some pretty critical words. Not only for the world that's around me, but for myself as well. And I don't mean to condemn myself or to condemn the whisperings of your heart, but I want you to know Our hearts can get stronger. Our hearts can whisper better. Our hearts can whisper what the New Testament calls the fruit of the Spirit. Our hearts can whisper patience, can whisper gentleness. Our hearts can whisper kindness and generosity. Our hearts can even whisper that four-letter word, love. And when our hearts whisper love, I believe that it's like a stone thrown into very still water. Those words reverberate. They echo out to the world that surrounds us. And as this psalm describes, those words have power and they can go to the ends of the earth. Will you pray with me? Holy Lord, we thank you that you truly know, accept, and love us, and that you reveal yourself to us in very personal and real ways. So, Lord, we ask that you might provide opportunities in the days ahead for us to come to Scripture, not only to gain and glean new insight and head knowledge, but would you use scripture to transform our hearts and transform our very lives that we might bring about good for the world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.